You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Just to let you know kind of what's going on the rest of the year, maybe. Uh, I'm preaching today. I will not be preaching next week. Pastor Scott will be preaching. Then I will be preaching the week after that. Then I will be preaching at a, a fellow Acts 29 church in Marietta, Ohio, which is near West Virginia on November 24th. So Pastor Scott will be preaching here, and then I'll preach the rest of December. We're going to continue in this series. He is, we are, all the way through the end of this year. And, um, you know, we, we do celebrate Advent in December, the last four weeks leading up to Christmas. And so we'll kind of do that, and, and you'll see some stuff around here begin to feel like Christmas. And that's a good thing, I think. Um, and then the last Sunday of the year, we are not gathering as the church like this. A lot of times we take the, the Christmas-ish one off, but we're, we're going all the way through. So the 29th of December, we will not gather formally so that you can be wherever you're going to be. And so just letting you know what's going on with all that. Uh, is that fair? that good? Whether it is or not, we must go on, okay? So pray with me, and then we're going we're gonna to jump in looking at God most loving. Father, thanks for your kindness, and your gifts, your love, for your presence in our lives. And I, I know, Father, we come in all different places and all different walks in, in terms of our relationship with you and with one another today. Would you show us what love looks like through the life that you live through your character, and would you show us what it looks like to live in light of that? We thank you for who you are, and we ask today that you would make us into your image by the work of your Son, by the power of your Spirit, to, to your glory, and may we find joy in that. In Jesus' name, amen. It's hard to talk about the love of God. If ever there were an attribute of God, be straddled with baggage, it's this one, says Jen Wilkin in her book, the image, uh, in his image. And so, love is a funny thing because of the confusing ways that Americans speak of love, it's kind of difficult to hone in like what it is. And, and uh, because of the way that, that, that we talk about it, it's difficult to actually understand and define it in a way that allows for us to see its legitimate meaning and in, in the weight of what it actually is. Love uh, is more sought after than riches or fame. Love uh, is the deepest joy for many. Um, it's the center of more murder plots than anything else on the earth. Uh, it is uh, the, the, the heart of more lyric, song, and art than any other topic on the planet. This week I, I searched, uh, you know, like the internet knows what you're thinking before you're thinking it. And so you type into Google or whatever and, and you type in love is and then you just let it tell you what you're thinking. And so the things pop up, and, and this week I did that, and it was love is, and this is what, you know, the masses have searched for. Love is patient. That was the first one. Love is an open door. Love is war. Love is a battlefield, right? Love is action. Love is respect. Love isn't real. Love is giving. And it's no wonder when you add all that together that the masses ask, what is love? 
It's how we feel towards pizza rolls, and it's how we feel towards new shoes, and it's how we feel about our favorite restaurant, yet it's the deepest emotion that one can give to another. So difficult and intense and and vulnerable are the initial declarations of those three simple words, I love you. Love causes heartache and it causes joy. It causes frustration and it, and it brings satisfaction. It causes insecurity and it causes comfort. It causes uncertainty and it causes confidence. And all of that is merely human love. That's love from one to another. But what about, what about love from God? What about the love of God, the creator of the universe, the, the redeemer of everything that is, the sustainer of life? What about That love from Him to to dust created as part of the universe. What is that like? And because of the baggage that each of us bring to the word love, to the idea of love, and because of the baggage that 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 word brings to each of us, English might not be the most helpful uh, language for us to understand its true nature. And so there are other languages that can help us. And maybe you've heard something like this, that, that the Inuit language has over 50 words for snow. And so we have, like, it's snowing out today. And we have, it's snowing a lot out. And it's blizzard conditions out there. The snow is, is it's coming uh, with, with the wind, and, and there, it's snowing, but it's icy. And so they have words for all of these different things because it's such a part of their life. And so uh, we, we can learn from other cultures and other languages that kind of break apart love in the same way. And there are words that mean things like brotherly love, like, like the love from, from one to another that, that may be legitimate brothers or may not be, and we say, man, this dude is my bro, I love her, I love him like a brother or her, like a sister. And we have words for things like uh, the love of country and things that can't love you back, and I love my country and I love sports and I love... My, my, my favorite sports team. And, and those things, they, they, they just don't have the ability to love you back. In fact, most don't, right? Yeah. Yeah. Guaranteed not to lose today. There's one word, uh, t- two of these things kind of stick out. One is called, called eros. And, and if you have uh, any idea of the English language, then you might know where that takes you. It is a romantic love. It is of sexual passion. We might call it lust, right? The crazy thing is, Plato and the Greeks, they didn't, ha- they, they didn't associate that type of, of word or that type of emotion with love, and so you have the idea of platonic love. Love without passion or love without lust, and so that's a, a Plato type love, right? But, but then we have this special word, and, and you may have seen it as you pass through churches named this you have this word agape, which is it's the selfless love of God. It, it, it can be used in a parental sense or like a, a parent to a child or in a spousal sense, but uniquely it is good God to man and man back to good God. Thomas Aquinas said it this way, to will the good of another. So as expected, our culture uh, is fixated on eros, the romantic type of love. And as we, we might expect, the Bible is fixated on agape, the love of God. In fact, the, the, the first is used zero times in scriptures. 
The type that, that means this brotherly love is used about 50-something times in the scriptures. But this agape love, it's used over 250 times from cover to cover in this book. So, all of this means that when we talk about the love of God, we must have bigger categories than, than pizza rolls and Valentine's Day. Right? We have to understand this in, in a little bit broader sense. And, and if the primary desire of your life is to be loved by a human in an eros way, then I, I want to tell you this, then you are selling yourself short. You are selling God short. You are selling God's design for you, for community, for life, and certainly God's design for love short. Love gives oneself away for the sake of another. That's what love does. So God's love means that God literally, eternally gives of himself to others. So this attribute shows that it is part of his nature to give of himself in order to bring about blessing and good for others. And so when we look at this as as a sermon series, he is, we are reflecting the nature and the character of God, we see that God is most loving. But we see in response to that, that his love flows from who he is to to us. As we'll see in this, his beloved who call upon the name of Jesus. And, And when that love flows from him to us, it transforms us to be able to, one, receive that love, and secondly, and, and, and very importantly, secondly, to be able to give that type of love in response. And so, we're doing this, three questions today. What is the basis of God's love? What is the extent of God's love? And what is the response of God's love? What is the basis? What is the extent? What is the response to God's love? And we're looking at 1 John 4, 7 through 12. And we'll start with this, what is the basis of God's love? And I just want to read this one verse, 1 John 4, 7. It goes like this, beloved. See, that's really, really important. Because that means that, that it's, this letter is written from John to the church, to God's kids who are bought with the price of the blood of Jesus. Right? This is not for everyone. This is for the beloved, the church, God's redeemed community and family. So, so he says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. God's basis for the act of love is that he is the essence of of love. On what basis does God love? Because he is love. He's not only love, but there is no love that does not flow from him. That's what this tells us. So he is, we are. In this we see that God loves because his identity is love. He invites us, the beloved, to reflect his nature. God is love, therefore he loves. See, he isn't coerced to love. He isn't partial in his love. He doesn't love to benefit or to gain. Listen to me. God does not love to gain anything. If God had had need to gain anything, he wouldn't be God. 
God has nothing in him that he can gain more of. He does not love to benefit. He does not love to gain. He does not love to be satisfied in a way that he isn't already satisfied. God is completely satisfied. He loves because he is love. So this is already sort of a a contrasting shift from the basis of human love. The way that we love one another. Consider what you do love and what you do not love. Just for a second. Consider who you love and who you loathe, just for a second. How many of those that you love offer nothing in return? See, human nature loves to be loved. Human nature loves in response to benefit and gain. Human nature loves in response to love received. Human nature loves in response to something we want, like like beauty or intimacy or passion or companionship. Treat me well and you'll have my heart, maybe. Or, Or at least until something serves me better. But when we don't get what we hope for, or when we are just simply disillusioned by, by fading love, by, by, uh, when, our, when the, freshness, the freshness of love wanes and, and it wears and, our, and the heart flutters fade, we so easily turn to new outlets to give love and new outlets to receive love anew. We desire to be loved, therefore we will love that which loves us and allows us to get more than we can give. That's human love. So we have divorce, and we have abandonment, and we have friendships without roots, and we have pressure to be all for everyone around us, because if we fail them, they will stop loving us. And we put all the pressure on everyone around us, and we have regular disappointment because no one can love us like we desire to be loved. If there is, if there is one exception to this, and it's an imperfect exception, it would certainly be that to, to a parent and a child, which is either ironic or it's by design because God is Father. So if you read this book cover to cover, you'll find that, that God's people love Him just the same as we love one another. We're, we're fickle in our love. Um, we love him until something better comes along. And so you see in the garden, at the very beginning, there were two humans on the planet, and God loved them, and he was with them, and he walked with them in the cool of the evening, and they gave that up to follow something else. And we see as God made his family Israel, and, and, he, and he grew his family into a nation, we see that he said, just just. Just be my people and I will be your God and I love you. I, I love you as the initiation of our relationship. And look, you're going to fail, but I love you. And you know what they did when they got a chance? When, when, when God's mouthpiece was gone for 15 minutes, they create something else to love, a golden calf, right? Which is easy to look at and say, who would create a golden calf? But we do just the same. We forsake. But here's the deal. Get this, God is not like us. And, and get this, God's love is not like our broken efforts of love. So, so we, see, we see this 
from eternity past, all right? And this is something that you would read in the morning as you're reading your Bible or whatever, and you would just skim over it, but just think about this just for a second. We see indications that this love existed eternally among the members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit forever. And Jesus speaks to this in, in John 17. He says this, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. It's, it's indicating that there was love from the Father to the Son from eternity. There's this relational unity that we just we can't see in human form. We can't see it in the one another's around us. Before Jesus did anything, before he, he carried out the Father's will exactly on earth, before he lived and he obeyed him at, at every turn, before he did any of that, before he died to save mankind and to draw us back to God, God the Father loved him before he did anything. We see uh, a few chapters prior in John 14. Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus says, I do what, what my Father asks of me so that you know that I love him. Which, which makes sense considering Jesus commands the same to us. If you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will trust me. You will obey me. And if we obey it, it, de it demonstrates that we trust him to, to have our best interest at heart. That he knows best, that he's creator of all things. He's creator of us and our hearts, and he knows what's best for us. And so when we obey, we submit to the authority that, that God knows best and having our best interest in mind. So we see that genuine love is based on, on trust, trust in in the basis of God's love, trust in, in His nature. So we see in this text that love is from God. And since this is true, we, the beloved, are charged to love one another, but even more, God is love. And if that's so, if, if, big if, if we are capable of, of this agape, selfless, others-oriented love, if we are capable of that, it must flow from us knowing God. Now, I know that saying these things brings all sorts of, of objections because I have some of them as well. And so you might be sitting here and you might be saying something like, so you're telling me that if I'm not a Christian, I can't love. And look, it's plausible that you're in the room and you're saying that. And we are glad that you're here, Right? And you might be saying that that sounds impossible. You're telling me that without Jesus, I can't love like you who have Jesus? Is that what you're telling me? You might, you might say something like this. I know Christians who are hateful and unkind and unloving and judgmental and hypocrites. And look at me. I, I live my life for others. I live my life for my family. I live my life for my kids. But, but you all, right? And here's the deal. I'm not telling you that. But here's what I am telling you. I'm telling you that there is one of whom it is said that he is love. And I'm telling you that he tells us through his word that love is from him. And whoever loves has been born of him and knows him. And I'm telling you that anyone who does not love does not know him 
because he is love. That's, that's what I'm telling you. God most loving, we imperfectly reflect him being conformed to his likeness through the course of our lives. It, it seems to be saying that the author of love alone has the power to transform our ability to offer the deepest kind of love, the most selfless love, the love that flows from God who is love. And so what is the basis of his love? The basis of God's love is that his identity is love. So the second question, what is the extent of God's love? How far does it go? When does it stop? When does it flee? What are the conditions of its term? See, no matter, no matter what life you've lived to this point, isn't this what we all want to know? From the time we're, we're this big until we're on our deathbed having lived a long life, this is what we want to know. How much do you love me? Do you love me this much? Do you love me this much? All the way around. I love you all the way around the world and back that much. I love you more. No, 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 no. I love you more. We say that insecurely. Trying to convince ourselves. Because we want the other person to say, no, no. You, you love 70%. I love 72%. See, without love being displayed towards us, we struggle. Fact. Oh, you don't know me. I'm real tough. Yeah, I know that you want to be loved. That's what I know. This is true on a psychological level. Those loved from, from early on typically have greater confidence and security. Um, love assures the mind that it is safe. If you don't learn trust by the age of 12... It's tough. When love isn't found, we build defenses. It starts little, and, and, and you know that this is true. We're self-saboteurs, right? You can't fire me because I quit. And we do the same thing with love, right? This is too good to be true. I'm out because guess what? I'm going to beat you to the punch because nothing I've ever loved has loved me like I want it to love me, and I know it's going to leave me. So I'm out. I reject your love and I take mine away before you can take yours away from me. That's what we do. But it's also true on a spiritual level. It's true within the church. Someone said on the, the Village 10-year uh, anniversary video that hopefully you've seen at this point. Um, if not, we'd, it's out there somewhere in the world. Um, somebody said, man, I, I come from a place of hurt. And I found this church, and, and, and it felt too good to be true, and, and I was just waiting for it to, to hurt me, right? And I, I hate that, and, and I love that, because up to this point, they said, but that, that's not happened yet, all right? We, we'll fail you. Mark it down. I've already failed you. Guarantee it. But then we see this in, in like, the, the most supremely spiritual level. We see this with God, we see that, that he has expectations, and when I don't meet those, we know that, that he's gone, he's out, right? Because that's how love works. 
But if we live to earn God's love, we will be crushed by the burden. Can't do it. We'll be crushed by the weight, but if we grasp the depth and the assurance of God's love to us, for us, purely because God is love, then we can live in the safety of His capable hands. What's the best love story of all time? What is it? Anybody? Ah, there we go. Let's fight about it. One news outlet uh, recently declared Shakespeare's tale of two star-crossed lovers, Romeo and Juliet. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. As the number one love story of all time, all right, and, and whether you agree or not, it's certainly emotional and it's powerful. If you don't know the story, then I encourage you not to read the play, but to watch the 1996 adaptation <laughs> of that, all right? And so we're going to hone in right there, all right? I don't know how the play goes, but I know how the movie goes. This is what I know. They, they shouldn't love one another, and they're young, and they're beautiful. Uh, they're Claire Danes and, and Leonardo DiCaprio, let's say. Uh, they shouldn't love one another. They had some family history, some Montagues and Capulets, um, Things not really going well. So they fall in love against great odds, all right, which you're already kind of, kind of like, yeah, I want them to make it, you know? Um, and then there's some stuff happens, and they love, and some people die, and some other stuff. But at, at the end, when things begin to, like, ramp up in a fatal miscommunication, in a miscalculation, Romeo comes upon Juliet, and, and he thinks her dead, Right? Now, he doesn't know that she was just pretending to be dead so that they could be together forever, but that's, that's not, that doesn't matter. So he finds her dead, so he takes of this, this poison potion that kills him in moments because he's unable to go on without her. All right, So he, he drinks the, the stuff to end his life, and, and she awakes in the movie. In fact, he has the stuff here, and she's like, Romeo, and he's like, <laughs> right? But, but you get the idea. And so, so she awakes... And he's like, no, but I, took the, I thought you were, uh, uh, and he dies. And then she lays there. And you're just like heartbroken at what's going to happen. And I know there's a sword or something in the play, but in the movie, she grabs a gun. And she dies by her own hand. Right? Self-inflicted sword gunshot because she can't go on without him. So you have two young lovers together in death because of family hatred and love. A love so deep that it is meaningless without it. Why is that so emotional? Why is that so powerful? Why is that after hundreds of years, why is that the number one love story of all time? Because it's the type of love that we all want. We hunger for the deepest love because love is part of who we are. Right? And we see this from actually who we are in light of God's creation, that he made us in his image to reflect him, to rule and reign under his ruling and reigning. So we get to manage all the earth that God has created under him. And we get to do that reflecting every bit of his nature and his character. We get to do that reflecting his love. But, but here's the thing, we're broken because of sin. We don't love perfectly, we don't rule perfectly, we don't govern perfectly. We're not good perfectly. 
We're not perfectly just or merciful or, or any of the other things. And so we have these built-in longings from God, but we don't turn where we should to have them satisfied. We live this life longing to be satisfied and we turn to imposters of the real thing. Maybe you've read the book, Are You My Mother? All right? It's less dramatic than the other story I just shared with you. But this little bird, whatever, he's like looking for his mom. And he asks all sorts of things. Hey, are you my mother? And he asks like cats and other stuff. And they're just like, I don't know, be gone. Or maybe they say nothing. And he asks like dump trucks, are you my mother? And they just like make noises. And he goes on and I'm guessing at the end, I don't remember, he probably finds his mom. Right? She, <laughs> she, she finds him or whatever. But, but look, in light of how we think about love, we, we literally just go about this life growing up and saying, like, will, will you love me? Look, will, will you love me? Will you love me? And some things, many things, ignore us, right? Because we're not worthy or, or they're not worthy or whatever. But when someone says yes, we're all in. Just like that bird, if the dump truck said, hey, bird, yeah, I am your mother. Bird would be like, okay. All right, I guess I'm a dump truck. So we wait for something to love us, and then we just say, well, that's, that's what I'm supposed to be. That's what I'm supposed to give myself to. That's what's supposed to give themselves to me. I- anything that seems like it might feel right captures our hearts in, in men, women, sex, fantasy, power, fiction, entertainment, hobbies, accumulation, uh, exclusion, comfort, all the things, you name it, we claim it, the key to fulfillment and it fails at every turn. And we fail it at every turn by putting divine weight on created things. This week, I think it was like in Seattle or Portland or something, you see like uh, a, a city bus fall on a sinkhole. People have driven on this thing thousands of times, probably more than that. But on this day, it gave weight. And, and the bus falls into a big hole that no one knew was there. But, but when we give... Uh, created things, when, when, when we expect them to, to bear divine weight, that's what happens. And they might be able to withstand for a period of time, but eventually they're going to collapse because they cannot manage the weight of that which only the divine can bear. Can we expect love like that from created things? Or we expect that we can love like that, being a created thing? We can't. It's going to give way. It's going to fail. And so maybe you've invested your life confused and searching for a love that transcends and lasts beyond all need. And as, as the waves crash and as time goes on, you probably haven't found that. But today, I, I would love to offer you that love. So, so what is the extent of God's love? Well, John tells us In in verse 9, he says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. Isn't that what we think? That like I'm in in Christ, I'm a a Christian and and I'm doing this thing and, and watch how much I love him. But that's not it. You, you can't start there. And he tells us why. It's, it's not that we have loved God, but that he loved us 
and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And I get it. You're like, what? I was tracking. What is that word? It, it means appeasement. It means that God sent Jesus to settle our debts. It means that we have a relationship with God. And it means that we, we, we break what's best and we sin against him. And every time we get a, a bill sent in, in the mail, and it says that we, we owe death. That, that's what we pay. And it's not one bill, and it's not two, and it's like, ah, I'm an okay person. It's, it's thousands and thousands and thousands of bills of debt that we collect that God will demand of every single one of us because He is love. Next week we'll talk about justice and it will fill in some gaps. We, we can't do it. But, but in this is love, not that we have loved Him, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to, to be the appeasement, to settle the debt of our account so that we might live through Him. No matter what you thought the Christian life was about, that's what the Christian life is about. It's about trusting that true. Romeo and Juliet puts human love on display with, with emotion and power, and both lovers end up dead. But, but God puts divine love on display, and through the selfless death of His Son, we both end up living through His death and through His life forever together. Because divine love gives oneself away for the sake of another. Not at the expense of another, not alongside another, for another. Romeo and Juliet, love. There's nothing I can do for you, and I can't live without you, so I too must die. Gospel love, there's nothing you can do for me, and you can't live without me, so I must die so we can both live. That's good news. There's a proverb that says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. See, if we don't guard what and how we love, death will be our end. But if, if we throw ourselves to the one who is love, who shows us love by laying down his life, we can know love and we can receive love and we can give love from now till forever without end and join God's always and forever love, us being His, Him being us with all of God's people forever. So what is the extent of God's love? His love takes Jesus to the cross. He lays down His life for His enemies to call them, to call us sons and daughters, not because we're lovable, but to make us lovable. See, I don't think we're ever more like God than when we love. And the biggest tell of genuine love is when we love those that, that don't offer anything in return. To love our enemies, Jesus tells us, 
is an indicator of whether our love is, is really about us or, or if it's about responding to the love that we've received from God for his glory and for our joy. C.S. Lewis says this, he said, God loves us not because we are lovable, but because he is love. And because he is love, he can only will what is best for us, which is to be transformed into a being of a holy love like himself. He will settle for nothing less. As we meditate on God's love for us, especially in the cross of Christ, our love for God and our neighbor will increase and our hearts will become more and more like God's, filled with love. Which is a great segue to the last and and shortest point. What is our response to God's love? We, We receive love, therefore we love. When we come to terms mind and heart, thinking and feeling, convinced and convicted, we, we can't help but to reflect love. He is love. And we, we are living in light of that. He is, we are, is about knowing who God is and knowing who we are and knowing who the love of God is making us to be. And when we know both, and only then can we consider what we do to when we see this character and this attribute of God on display from God, through Christ, to us, then we too live to love. And we get to love in the two ways that the Bible says, if you do these two things, then all of the law and all of the commandments and all of the things that God would ask, then all of the other things fall in line, that, that we get to love upward, We get to love the Lord with all that we have. And so we do that by finding our satisfaction in Him. We we do that by finding our joy in Him, no matter what. We do that by obeying Him and knowing what His desires are for us and walking in those ways. We do that by just perpetual consideration that He loves us in spite of us. That changes everything. And then, then when we get that, then we then we overflow and we love outward. We get to love our neighbor. And so that means that we, we get to give of oneself for the benefit of another. Not just the people that look like you or that act like you, that think like you, that affirm you, but those that are unlovable. And man, those that are your enemies. So do you love? Do you love? I imagine this can be a bit overwhelming for some of you. If you find that at times you do, yeah, I, I love sometimes, and, and at times you don't, then, then we get to rest in this confidence, that this letter, this First John, which is one sliver of all of God's love that we read about in the Bible, that this letter is written to, to spur the church, the beloved, those who are in Christ by faith alone, through the grace that he offers alone. This letter is written to spur the church to live a life of love in light of the greatest love. This is, this is a, 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 re, a rebuke, an encouragement to love one another. God loves most, but we get to grow in our love for Him and our love for others until He makes us like Him and glory without the taint of flesh and sin. But just real practically think about this just for a second. Isn't, 
Isn't life just better when love is driving our attitudes over self? It, 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 it just is better. It's so easy to see that, like, gosh, if you would just love one another, this would just be easier. It would just be better. We wouldn't always be bickering and arguing and fighting. Can, can we not just be motivated by love? But, but we can't, like, you just can't give someone that. Love, love is the demonstration of, of others first. That's, that's what it does. And so selfishness or self-centeredness is the inverse, and it's destructive to ourselves, it's destructive to community, it's destructive to joy. But if we consider the times when you let self drive, and we've all done that, you say, you know what? I'm going to win this game, and I'm going to cheat to do it. Like, I get board games are serious. But it might be much bigger or way more serious than that. And we let self-drive. It usually ruins the whole scene and the whole situation for everyone. But when love drives, everyone wins, even when things don't go perfectly or according to plan. And so, so when you observe yourself being selfish unloving, unwilling to live for the benefit of others before you lash out or before you heap guilt, before you do whatever you do, would you just consider this? Consider whether or not you're remembering God's love to you. Because I think if we have the wherewithal to do that, it can change us in a moment. One said this week, I've given God endless reasons to stop loving me and and none of them have worked. When we receive this love, we get to love all of God's good but broken creation with with less self-interest and that transforms our outward love. C.S. Lewis finishes his thought around this stuff. He says, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Now, do I agree with that? I, I don't know. I'll say it again. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. This is what he says. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. Whether you are behaving as if you love someone, uh, I'm sorry, when you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. And on the flip side, you may find yourself feeling unlovable, and, and yet we've learned today that we are indeed loved if 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 you received God's love through Jesus, we get to live as one who is loved and we get to see that, that God does, we get to see what He does to grow you, to grow us into someone who is lovable and into one who, who loves upward and who loves outward and by His grace, might we even love ourselves inward. So we see John close this up and he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's the response. Love up, love out. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And His love is perfected in us. And when we do, by our love for one another, others see the God of love. So, so in the most famous passage that talks about love and, and all of the Bible, and if you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard this. It goes something like this. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am 
a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We're just annoying, right? And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give... If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And if you would, would you stand with me? And just these last couple verses of this, I would love for you to read along with me. We get to see what it looks like. You ready? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the love of God to us, His beloved, through the work of Jesus and through the love of His Son. Love gives oneself away for the sake of another. So we get to respond. The band can come up. We get to respond today in in three ways. We get to pray which means we get to entrust our lives to his. All right, and he says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. All right, so we get to pray. We get to contribute as God's family. And you can do that in a hundred different ways. All right, you might want to say, I want to join the kingdom. I want to join Jesus today. And we invite you to do that. You might want to say, I want to join community. I want to be around and contribute as a member of this family. You might want to say, I want to, I want to give. You get to give today. You might say, I want to serve and build this kingdom that's built on love today. Right? And, and we get to celebrate. And we can do that through singing these songs, sitting right where you are. We can celebrate through communion, which is remembering and declaring God's love for us. Jesus' body broken, his blood spilt, represented by the bread and the drink. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for the gift of your love. And would you let that be the center of our life so that we might live through your love. We know that you are not love alone, but but love comes from you alone. So today... Would you let us be people who are just taken aback, held captive by the love that you have for us? Would you let us be a people that begin or, or continue to live in response to that love by loving you and all that we do and loving our neighbor as ourself? In Jesus' name.